a press conference we didn't need, and tragedies that can't even unite Congress. Hey, girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an eye, and this is Did You Hear the News? The great press conference scandal is over, people. That's right. This week, President Biden held his first televised press conference with the press. And what a joy, because what a huge scandal it was that it had been 50 days that the president had not had a press conference, even though his press secretary, his press Secretary Jen Psaki holds a press conference Monday through Friday. That was not enough. The people needed to hear exactly how Joe has felt out of his own mouth, even though he stopped and talked to reporters multiple times at multiple different things. That was not enough. They needed their time with him and they got it. And boy, oh boy, were the questions interesting. Part of me watched this press conference and wondered, why are we here? Why are we here? But that's what they, this is what they wanted. The press wanted their time. And you would think that given how long they had to prepare their questions, they would ask better ones. You would think that was the case, but to me, it was not the case. So this is my personal opinion. Some of the questions, of course, were good, but some of them were just like, are you serious? Like, is this why we're here today? So you could ask that specific question. The president, of course, talked about such things as the coronavirus, which no one asked about. He actually gave his own comments at the beginning of the press conference. He set a new goal for vaccines, 200 million in 100 days, which he's already surpassed that 100. And I think that's why he has the optimism that we can make it to 200 million in 100 days. It's a totally seeable, doable goal, uh, especially with a lot of different states opening their eligibility. But of course, we had to get into other issues such as immigration and filibuster. And I feel like Joe answered those questions in Joe form. He's a long talker. We know this. Joe talks long. So, and he let them know he's only giving them about an hour. So um, I think the one of the first few reporters was Jamish Alcindor. I hope I said her last name correct from PBS. She asked a question about immigration and oh my gosh, the left and the right were just so annoyed by her. She was actually trending after the press conference because she made mention that a lot of migrants are coming in because they are under the impression that the Biden administration is more compassionate, more humane. 
I've mentioned that before on this podcast because I heard it straight from a migrant's mouth while watching the news that they felt that the president's administration is more humane than Trump's. He, I feel like he literally said it by name. And so she did ask the question. She did ask him, you know, what he was doing about the fact that that's the overall view of migrants coming in is that they're coming regardless because they feel that this administration will take a more humane approach to immigration. It's a fact, but the right felt like she was bigging up Biden. And then the left felt like she was trying to blame Biden. At this point, it's just like, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? They're saying this. They believe this. However, it's also true that apparently the springtime is when we have an uptick in migrants and in immigration almost every year. So apparently like this is the normal time when immigration would spike. So it probably does not help that this is the normal time immigration would spike. There's a belief by some people that this administration is going to handle immigration differently. Of course, because they roll back a lot of the things that the former president had done. And Joe Biden very specifically spoke to that. Um, I think the lady immediately after Yamish asked, well, you know, piggybacking off of that, like, how do you feel about the fact that they're saying this? Like, do you think it's the changes that you made? And he straight up was like, I'm not going to apologize. Like, I'm not going to apologize for ending separating children from their families. Like, I'm not going to apologize for doing more humane things even though I'm not out here actively saying the border is straight up open. And I commended him for that because he's kind of darn if you do, darn if you don't, right? If he would have kept those same policies that were in place, he would have been getting skewered for it. But now he's getting skewered because of the fact that people feel like there, there's more leeway that they can come here. But once again, there are many factors that are bringing people here. And I think he really wanted to make sure that it's understood him and his press team because they mention it anytime you ask. The last administration basically tore down our administration infrastructure. And now this administration is having to build it back up in a time where there are natural disasters, we're dealing with a global pandemic, and it's just some underlying feelings that he's more open to having immigrants crumbs than the last administration because of the policies that the last administration put in place. I really think they're between a rock and a hard place when it comes to this immigration thing because the circumstances don't make it any better. There are thousands of unaccompanied minors. There's COVID. There are precautions that they're trying to put in place because of COVID that make it a lot more difficult to deal with these children than it was in the past. But 
It's not that they're not trying to deal with it. And everyone's kicking and screaming about, well, let us in. Let us videotape and film and document what's going on. And sure, there should be transparency there. But I just, I don't, I don't really see a lot of the arguments on both sides. Like, I really just feel like this administration is in like kind of a lose-lose situation uh, right now when it comes to immigration. Then you have Republican senators. Ted Cruz is in the bushes making videos at the border like a weirdo. Like he's trying to sneak back into Cancun, but he had to make it look like, you know, functional for his Republican party but just just weird stuff the republicans want to keep going to the border and different teams are going to the vote and i'm just like i feel like all of these people are just even adding more to the chaos that is the border so it's just a hot mess joe biden even said himself he's not going right now because of the amount of secret service and all of that he'd have to take he just feels like it wouldn't even be helpful it would be more of a struggle for him to actually have to go down there right now. So they're working on it. He tasked Kamala Harris this week, vice president Kamala Harris with basically the challenge of immigration, not just what's going on at our border, but what's happening in these countries that is causing more people to, you know, migrate here in record numbers. Of course, that's more of a long-term thing. Like that's not going to solve what's going on right now. But for this moment in time, the message is, and whether it's being heard in these countries or not, the message is do not come here. There will be ways that they're going to open up um, legal uh, ways to obtain asylum in each country. And that's what they want people to do they want them to apply in their countries first before they just make the trek it's very dangerous and once again biden press like we're not going to send children back on the same dangerous trek like it's it's just not what we're going to do so best of luck to them because i know that they're trying and immigration is a big deal but it really seems like there's no there's just no coming together in the Congress and the Senate. So we don't know how that goes. And then that brings me to the filibuster and bipartisanship, which of course came up in this press conference. Well, we see what's going on this week with gun violence and you calling for a gun reform bills and, you know, the voting rights restrictions that are going on in multiple different states, especially Georgia, which we'll touch on, and how we have this HR1 and it needs to get passed, but we have this pesky filibuster because the Republicans basically don't want to work with us on anything. And they, all they want to do is filibuster everything so we can't get to any real issues. Like, what are you going to do? Like, he was asked about whether or not he agreed with former President Barack Obama on whether the filibuster is a relic of Jim Crow. And he said, yeah, I do agree. But he doesn't necessarily agree with completely getting rid of it. He thinks that there are ways to change the rules of the filibuster. He thinks that, you know, they should go back to the talking filibuster, by the way. 
He made a joke about when he came to Congress 120 years ago, and he didn't laugh when he said it. And I knew immediately that it was going to be taken completely out of proportion, and it was. Of course, the right tried to use it as another way to show that he's just a senile old president who doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was like... How come you can understand sarcasm from the former president, you know, back when he was telling people to inject bleach into their bodies to get rid of coronavirus, but you can't understand sarcasm of the president who's basically trying to say, like, it was years ago, like, it was a long, long time ago when I came to the Senate, like, you, you, you can't understand. Anyways, I just thought it was it was such a stupid thing for us to be going back and forth. But here we are. Um, so he mentioned that 120 years ago when he came to the Senate, back then the filibuster was a talking filibuster. And if you were going to hold up a bill, you needed to get on the floor and talk it out for 24 or however many straight hours that were required you had to be on the floor so he feels like we should go back to something like that here's the thing the problem with reforming the filibuster or getting rid of it completely because most people call for just getting rid of it getting rid of the filibuster making everything like a 51 or a 52 threshold sure that sounds good but we have senators currently at least two joe manchin and kristen cinema who are completely against getting rid of the filibuster now joe manchin has mentioned he's in for maybe switching the rules but you would have to have i think like at least 50 people to agree to either get rid of the filibuster or change the rules of the filibuster And then you would still have to have 50 Democrats who actually want to vote for those bills. And as it stands, Joe Manchin has certain issues, I believe, with the H.R. 1 voting rights bill. So I know that we want to make it seem like getting rid of the filibuster is just an easy thing. And of course, that's That's like the first step. Figuring out the filibuster is the first step. But then on top of that, we still have to work to get certain Democrats on board with certain things. Now, are there probably some extraneous things in the Voting Rights Act that could possibly be removed so that maybe you can get some Republicans on board? Sure, but I just don't understand why in everything we do it's like we have to come over to the republicans it's like they never want to come over to joining the democrats or they in order to join you would have to give up like 75 percent of the things you want in the bill to occur just to get 10 republicans like it's it's just insane and Voting rights right now is like a huge thing, especially 
this week after what went on in Georgia. So I don't, I just don't know how that's going to go. The Senate did hold a hearing on um, that HR1 bill and it did get a little testy. Uh, Schumer threw out the word shame quite a few times. Um, he said that Republicans could, should basically be ashamed that they're trying to steal voting rights. And Mitch McConnell's rebuttal was that Democrats should be ashamed that they're trying to steal states' rights. And Cindy Hyde-Smith, or whatever her name is, felt like, why are we even worried about people voting on Sunday? It's the Sabbath. I mean, uh, it's just a wild time. But I appreciated uh, Senator Klobuchar's final remarks. Basically, she said, we're here because everyone keeps talking about chaos 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 but the chaos was not in the voting itself the elections went fairly smoothly like without any hitches for the most part the elections went down the chaos came afterwards when a president continued to lie to his constituents, the followers and Congress senators and representatives continued to lie to their constituents about there being fraud when there wasn't. That's what brought chaos. And now we have all of these states trying to say that they're changing their voting laws because of the chaos when they're the ones that caused it. So we're going to continue to watch HR1. I mean, it's a huge deal. If not for anything, but that gerrymandering because Republicans have already looked at the map and looked at ways in which they can win over the House of Representatives just by redrawing the maps. Like, that's really scary. So, Joe is using the bully pulpit to push on laws for for voting rights and things like that. As far as bipartisanship, Joe feels like he has a lot of support from actual Republicans in you know, the U.S. as in terms of like constituents and voters and stuff, maybe not so in the Congress, but he feels like a lot of the things he wants to do has the backing of actual Republican citizens. So in his mind, bipartisanship is working for all of the people and hoping that the Republicans in the House and the Senate will see that and want to come along and work with him for their voters. Now, as we've seen, it doesn't really seem like they care about voters. It just seems like they more so care about power. So I don't know how that's going to go, but I always wish him the best of luck because he just seems so, so optimistic about working with them. It's just... 
kind of insane. I did get a few chuckles out of this press conference, especially when one of the reporters asked him when she was talking about immigration, she mentioned, you know, the unaccompanied minors and how, you know, they're in facilities that, of course, aren't for children. It's taken days longer than it should to move them to um, families or you know sponsored individuals and all of that and she literally said is that acceptable to you and as soon as she said it I knew I knew because I know Joe enough I knew he was gonna take offense and he like kind of like laughed and was like is that a serious question like are you are you asking, do I find that acceptable? Like, I was like, handle her, Joe, because at this point, it's kind of offensive for you, for a man like Joe, who you can see tries to be empathetic and sympathetic in like everything he does, for you to ask him a question like, is that acceptable to you? To the last guy, maybe, sure. But to Joe, I was like, girl, now go, don't come up here being rude. Like, you knew. You knew that was disrespectful. He handled her. He got her right together. And I thought it was funny. I also uh, chuckled when he basically said he wasn't going to apologize for um, rolling back a lot of those uh, Trump era policies as far as immigration goes. And I was like, yeah, stand on it. Whatever you do, stand on it. The last guy would do whatever and he would flip. He was like a flip-flopping seesaw. But Joe, he gonna stand on what he said. I wish that he would stand on these student loans and relief, but here we are. So all in all, I thought it was a good press conference. I mean, everybody wants to say what they want to say about Joe. I know he's an older gentleman. I think he kind of caught some offense as well when he was asked if he was going to run for re-election. He said, I'm not, like, I'm not a planner i don't plan that far out like i i know fate and i don't even sit around thinking you know that i can basically determine what's going to happen a day from now let alone four years but i think that kind of calls into question that everybody knows he's the oldest president we've ever had and he catches a lot of flack for his age and it didn't look good when he tripped up those stairs about three times last week. Poor thing. But as far as the topics and everything, like Joe knows what he's doing. Like, and Fox News can pitch a fit because he doesn't call on Doug Ducey or Peter Ducey or whatever his name is to ask him ridiculous questions like Sean Hannity saying someone should have asked him about tripping up the stairs or about his cognitive decline like why would I call on someone who I know is just going to try to insult me and not ask me about anything serious like and then he uses his question in the press conference with Jen who calls on him every time to say well nobody calls on Fox you know, when the president's being asked questions, it's like, yeah, because you're going to ask stupid questions. Like, it wasn't it bad enough he got the stupid questions he got today? Like, are you going to ask him how it felt to trip up the stairs three times? Dress shoes are slippery. But anyways, um, I think, uh, I think Joe knows that he's older. Like, I don't think y'all have to 
remind him he's older. He's the oldest to ever do it uh, in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. And so for a man who everyone likes to bring up his age, I think he did fairly well. He did have, he always has um, little cards or whatever so he can like read off stats. And apparently he might have had some cards where he read straight off of the card like his response and oh my god once again fox news thought that was just the worst thing possible it's either he's too prepared or it's why can't you just speak off the dome do i have to remind y'all what speaking off the dome looked like the last four years and that man also had note cards he had to have note cards so that he could tell the families of the victims in the Parkland shooting that he was empathetic to them, that he could, that he heard them. That was literally written on his note card. I hear you. Like this man had to use note cards just to show sympathy. And y'all are upset that Joe has note cards so that he can actually get facts right instead of just coming out and talking crazy off the dome like the last guy did. Like, Figure out what you're really going to be upset about and let us know because the rest of this is just child's play. It's just child's play. But once again, I thought Joe did as good as one can do. I didn't feel like we needed a press conference. Once again, Jin Saki comes out every day and talks until her face matches her hair. And for some reason, that's not enough. So all in all, good job, Joe taking questions from some of these nutbags. Sadly, after we were just kind of coming to terms with what happened at Atlanta in those spa shootings, there was another shooting on Monday afternoon in Boulder, Colorado. A suspect walked into a King's Supers supermarket and just started firing. He actually started in the parking lot. He killed a man who I think was there for some kind of technical work and had was on the way to another project and was in his car trying to leave and unfortunately parked beside this guy. He was killed. He just came into the store, was firing off. The first officer on the scene, unfortunately, he was shot and killed as well. It just... Seemed like a very horrible scene, especially when you listen to those that survived it. And it just, it was just really a, a really terrible incident to happen. And then you realize that by mass shooting standards, there had already been seven mass shootings in the U.S. in seven days. This would have been the seventh. And of course, it, once again, sparked the conversation about, you know, gun laws and common sense gun laws and expanded background checks, which Republicans are just so against doing something that makes sense or doing anything at all. And y'all's favorite person to hate, and I understand why, Ted Cruz went so far as to say, Every time a mass shooting occurs, y'all want to come in and put all these laws on the books that wouldn't even have helped change anything. And I was like, you know what, Teddy boy, 
you could have stopped at every time there's a mass shooting. You could have stopped there. Like that eviscerated your whole argument at that point. Every time we have a mass shooting, which America is known for having mass shootings. And either way, if you think that these common sense gun laws are not going to work why don't you offer some solutions instead of thoughts and prayers more needs to be done than thoughts and prayers and since y'all love the bible so much i'm looking at you marco rubio the bible says faith without works is dead so, so are them thoughts and prayers. Because if you're not going to put any work behind your thoughts and prayers, you might as well keep them. You might as well keep them. And that's what Republicans are basically doing. They just, it is what it is. Like, even though the Democrats are like, we're trying to put some laws on the books. We're trying to close these loopholes. Republicans are like, mm, but the NRA gives me so much money. I can't, I can't. And it's just really wild, especially in Boulder. Boulder had banned assault type weapons in 2018. And just 10 days before the shooting, a judge ruled that they couldn't enforce that law. They couldn't enforce that law. And about six days before the shooting, the suspect, bought the gun in the atlanta shootings the suspect purchased the gun the same day so tell me how possibly that assault bans bill or law that wasn't enforceable might not have helped tell me how making sure that a background on a person comes back before they can get the gun might not have helped the victims in the Atlanta shooting. Maybe he might not have shot anyone that day. Maybe as he sat 30 days and waited for a gun, he might've been able to be like, you know, this plan's a little crazy. Maybe I should, maybe I should back off, but we'll never know. We'll never know because those laws were not put in place and Republicans don't want to support those laws. Everything that anybody does about gun laws, it turns into they're trying to come and steal your guns. And it's like, what? Like, what? Do you really think the U.S. is going to go door to door and snatch people's guns? They didn't even want to go door to door and test them for COVID. (sighs) I just, I'd be so tired, y'all. So... Yeah, it's just been a really uh, tough time as far as um, lawmakers and trying to get on the same page as far as a lot of the laws that uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden would like to push. That also includes the those voter restriction laws. So this week, Georgia, who we've been watching for weeks at this point, knowing that they are just going to do everything in their power to restrict voting. This week, they flew that 93-page bill through the um, the House and then the Georgia Senate, and then immediately the Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, signed it 
in secret with like six other white men and had a photo op. And that was concerning to uh, the Congress people, especially those who only had found out maybe 15 minutes in advance that it was going to happen. So, of course, there were some people outside the chambers wondering why exactly is it that you're signing this bill in private? Why can't we see it? So much so that Representative Park Cannon went to the door and knocked and there were police outside the door. Now, why is it such a closed room thing that the police have to be there in the first place? I don't know, but she knocked on the door and police were like, ma'am, you can't do that. Like they're in there. They're trying to sign something. She's like, okay, well, why aren't they doing it in secret? Like I'm a representative. I'm a congresswoman. Why are we not allowed to see what's happening in this room? Why is it so private? And at one point, the police officer's like, hey, girl, you do it again. Like, we're going to have to take action. And she was like, and she knocked on the door again, and they arrested her. And now Representative Park Cannon is facing two felonies for knocking on Brian Kemp's door. They're trying to charge her with, like, trying to obstruct procedure or whatever. And it's like... This is so interesting because y'all couldn't even arrest people on the spot when they broke into the Capitol. But she's here at the state Capitol where she works. She's not trespassing. She's a representative. For what reason could she not get in to see the bill being signed that's going to affect her constituents, that's going to affect people in Georgia? I don't know the answer. That's going to be a developing story we're going to have to watch. But the Georgia voter restrictions are insane, as we said. One of the most egregious things about these restrictions is that it is now going to be a crime to give people food and water. I have to stress this enough. Food and water when they already have to be in line upwards of eight hours. I remember seeing people say in the 2020 general election that they were in line for 10, 11, 12 hours, but you can't give them any food. You know who that's going to affect? That's going to affect elderly people. It's going to affect people who have like diabetes and, you know, issues with their blood sugar, all of that. It's going to affect those people is going to disenfranchise them. A misdemeanor just to give out water and food. Now, here's what they're saying. This is what they're saying. They're saying that by giving a person who's probably extremely parched water or who may be feeling a little squeamish because they don't have anything on their tummy, a snack, that might influence how they vote. If you're in line and you don't know who you're voting for already, that's that's the problem. That's that's going to be the problem for you. And why is it not okay to give people food? But I'm sure you'll probably still have people standing out there passing out leaflets and flyers for the candidate that they want you to vote for. That's not going to be illegal. But giving food and drinks is Brian, Brian, please, Stacy, Stacy, you know what to do. You know what to do. 
y'all vote him out. I'm like real sick of it. I know he's trying to make it harder for y'all to vote in 2022. So y'all can't vote him out because he know y'all want him gone. Figure it out. If HR1 doesn't pass, we got two years to do what we got to do. I don't know how much time I got to take off of work. But if I got to go to Georgia and volunteer, I'll do what I have to do. Because WTF, I probably need to stay in Florida because we got a lot of people we need to get rid of. Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio, I'm looking at y'all. But anyway, I can help. I have to because he needs to go. So another thing that I thought was ridiculous as far as this voting rights bill is that it would get rid of outside drop boxes. Just, you know, drop boxes that are outside the building that you can drop your stuff in at any time because you might work off hours and you don't have time to get to the polling place between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. But the bill says that too bad, so sad. You have to put those drop boxes inside the polling place and that drop box has to close when the polling place does. The interesting thing is Governor Brian Kemp in the general election used the same outside drop box to put in his vote that he just outlawed. It's it's all fine and dandy until like the niggers use it, right? I'm going to be honest. I know y'all saying, oh, well, Brandy's going to affect other people too. But we know that these changes are going to mostly affect black people. They know it too. They want it to affect Democratic voters. And they know for the most part, black people vote Democrat. So these are racist laws. They're racist laws. And everything's fine and good until the niggers get a hold of it. And then it's like, no. You can't, this, this drop box that I just put my vote in? No, you can't, you can't put your ballot in there. For real? Yeah, you know, the former president who said that voting by mail is a sham, like voted by mail in the general election. And also here in South Florida and Palm Beach County requested his vote by mail ballot very recently, like this year, after he told y'all for weeks and weeks and months now that voting by mail was going to be fraudulent and can't be trusted, he requested his vote by mail ballot to continue voting by mail like he always does. It's a scam. It's all a scam. It's all a scam. And it's all so that black people and people of color can not vote or it makes it harder for them to vote. And to be honest, it's going to affect more than black people, but they're counting on it mostly affecting only black people. But mail-in voting was first started in Georgia and that's no excuse mail-in voting was first started in Georgia for people in rural areas that mostly vote Republican and it was started by Republicans and now that the blackies are using it it's not good enough 
it's not good enough. And Brian Kemp continues to say, oh, well, we're just trying to fortify the integrity of the election. Like, tell me how that makes sense, Brian, when your secretary of state, your election uh, voter implementation guy said, there was nothing wrong. The lieutenant governor, there's nothing wrong in this election. This was one of the best running elections Georgia's ever had. But now there's there's reasons for concern. On top of that, what really what really lets you know that this is all a power grab is the bill also will give Georgia the authority to take over elections if they need to, to basically oust the Secretary of State, take his powers, and also overturn results if they need to. Remember when the president kept saying that Brian Kemp needed to do something to overturn the results, and Brian kept saying, Sir, I don't, I can't do that. Like, that. That's not in the law books. It's it's like against the law. Well, now it's in the law books. So now he can. So if you have someone who is going to stand up like a Brad Raffensperger, like he did. And I mean, we were fortunate. We were lucky that he actually stood up for the integrity of his election. But if you have someone who's doing that and the state feels like they want them out, they're gone. With this new law. That's how you know it's all about power. So, <sighs> black people, we're going to have to mobilize. We're going to have to do what we do. Once again, I see Latasha Scott and other activists are asking for companies that give money to these Republicans to stop doing that. To stop doing that. So far, I think Coca Cola has been silent on the issue. And, all right, don't, don't use their products. But y'all gonna have to look it up because Coca-Cola owns a lot of things and you're probably gonna be really upset, especially when you can't drink your Simply Lemonade. And I'm sorry about it, but some has got to be done. Some has got to be done. So we're gonna keep our eyes on all of this stuff because it's it's really coming to a head. And I saw someone on Twitter say that Brian Kemp doesn't realize that he just trashed the filibuster. And... I hate to say it, but if the Democrats actually have backbones, then yeah, that's probably going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. So we gonna see. As an aside, we probably should also mention that Sidney Powell, who was Donald Trump's lawyer and then like wasn't his lawyer, but then was like also still a part of his counsel in December um, and promised to release the Kraken in the Georgia lawsuits. Yes, she has basically sent in a response by way of her lawyers in the case against her, uh, the defamation case for um, whichever one of those uh, voting systems people f- sued her. I think she got sued by both Dominion and Smartmatic, but basically her... <laughs> Her rebuttal is that, and this is, I guess, the most simple way to put it, is that anyone with, like, logical sense should have known that she was, like, lying. Or, like, she 
wasn't telling the truth or like she didn't give out any proof. So it should have been up to all of us to know that like she wasn't telling the truth. And I'm like, do y'all, are y'all, is everybody okay? (laughs) Is everybody okay? Here's the thing. How embarrassing. That's very embarrassing. If if you didn't know, Fox News had gotten sued a while back because of something that Tucker Carlson said, which is not surprising. And basically, they kind of used the same thing. Like, y'all should know that you can't really believe anything that Tucker is reporting on. Like, how do you use that as your excuse but then also continue to like employ someone who you've already told law-abiding citizens and people with sense like, oh, hey, like you should know that like he's not really telling the news. He's just like just speaking falsities. Like you should you should be smart enough. You should have the wherewithal to understand that. So that's on you. Like... Are you not embarrassed? How embarrassing. Like, it's just really sad. And now at this point, Dominion has also sued Fox News for whatever million billions of dollars that they have sued. I think it's like a class action suit. So everyone's included. So now it includes Fox News, Sidney Powell, Lily Giuliani. And apparently these companies have really good cases against these people and these network because basically what Sidney Powell's response or rebuttal was is that like y'all should have known better which means that Fox is is going to either have to prove that like they honestly truly believed that there was fraud and they had evidence which they didn't because there was no fraud or it was Dominion is going to have to prove that Fox knew it was a lie and they continued to do it because they were low on ratings and the more they lied about the election, the better their ratings got. Which, once again, Dominion can probably very actively prove. So, Dominion and Smartmatic really have good cases against all these people and I think they know it. So, we'll just see how it goes. I think it could be, or I've seen people say it could be enough for them to actually kind of get rid of the OANs and the Newsmaxes. Fox, maybe not. Um, they're a, a larger conglomerate, but we'll see. Honestly, good riddance to all of them. But I mean, people should have their choice of news, but like actual real news. And we know that Fox is not necessarily news, so... What can you say? Best of luck in all their endeavors, thoughts, and prayers. There's also some continued drama this week behind the confirmation of Vanita Gupta. She is set to be the number three attorney at the uh, Department of Justice Attorney General's office. And there's just been some back and forth about, you know, whether she deserves that job, I guess. Now, apparently, she also had some mean tweets under her belt. And y'all know how they feel about mean tweets. And she apologized for them. 
Um, apparently they were not as bad as Nira Tandon's, but she had to apologize for her tweets and let them know that even though her rhetoric was harsh, that was a while back and she's changed. But Rachel Maddow actually ran a story this week that I thought was super interesting that involves John Cornyn, who is actually the one who's kind of like leading the charge and like, hey, y'all, don't confirm her. Because it seems like there's a little bit of beef, a little bit of beef between the two of those. And I understand, I understand why there would be beef. It's because Vanita Gupta actually embarrassed him, embarrassed and humiliated him about 20 years ago. These, these people can hold a grudge, can't they? So 20 years ago, John Cornyn was attorney general for Texas, where everything's bigger. And in a not surprising fashion, he actually awarded Lawman of the Year to Officer Tom Coleman. Now, Tom Coleman was an officer in Tulia, Texas, and he got lawman of the year i'm assuming because he had gotten so many arrests and convictions under his belt and i guess senator john cornyn then attorney general was like wow this man's really getting it done let me give him an award well little baby vanita gupta who was working for the NAACP um, Legal Defense Fund, actually took a little trip down to Tulia after she was kind of hit off to the fact that there's possibly some shady business going on um, as far as these convictions. A lot of family members are like, you know, my family member was wrongfully convicted. And she was like, bet, I'll look into it. And apparently she put together like a crazy um, extensive team and they looked into a lot of these convictions. And it turns out that these people were innocent. They were wrongly convicted. You know, Coleman had made multiple mistakes when identifying suspects he was racist he he used racist language and he actually ended up being charged with two counts of perjury so (laughs) rick perry who was governor at the time had to go back behind him and clean up that mess and actually pardon all of those people that were convicted wrongfully because of Officer Tom Coleman, who had been given the Lawman of the Year Award by then Attorney General John Cornyn. Now, I guess that made him mad. I guess that made him mad. To me, it seems like that's a sign that Vanita is doing what needs to be done and is the perfect person for the job. But Apparently, he's just kind of like leading some kind of charge against confirming her. Either way, the Senate panel was deadlocked when it came to moving her along for a confirmation. But apparently, there are some rules where Chuck Schumer can 
go ahead and bring her to a confirmational vote anyway. And she's expected to get passed. I just think it's funny how you can do your job and do it well and embarrass a mediocre white man and then he can try to use that against you in the future watch y'all's backs watch y'all's backs but either way vanita is gonna get that job and it's probably the fact that she's so good at her job is what has senator Cornyn a little concern about maybe what she's gonna find when she gets to the justice department i ain't a conspiracy theorist I ain't a conspiracy theorist, but if you ask me, that's what it sounds like. So good job, Vanita. Never let them bring you down, even though they would try. Weapons will form. None will prosper. Speaking of weapons, (laughs) New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Mm, 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 mm. Mm, 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 mm. Honestly, I wasn't surprised by this story because it feels like what most people in power probably would have did anyway. But apparently, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's already under two different investigations, one for miscounting or misrepresenting nursing home numbers of deaths in New York, and also like six current accusations of sexual misconduct. It appears that back in the beginning of COVID, if y'all remember, so when COVID became like fresh off the scene in the United States, the Trump administration had totally bungled the outreach as far as creating the tests for coronavirus goes. Unfortunately, that put the U.S. behind as far as coronavirus testing went. And so you guys will probably recall it was very hard in the beginning stages to even get tested for corona. You might be feeling the worst you'd ever felt and they'd be like hey well if you're not dying yet uh just hold off a little bit and and if you feels like you're dying we'll test you that's that's where we were uh about a year ago today so the allegation is that during this time when resources were mighty scarce not just for individuals at home but for hospitals and medical centers New York Governor Andrew Cuomo actually used state resources to basically create like a VIP list of people who would get tested, including his brother, CNN news anchor Chris Cuomo. I don't be wanting Chris to be in the stuff because I like Chris. I do. But apparently he got a special treatment, as did, you know, his other family members and once again, other people that were on the VIP list. Now, here's the thing. I think more information needs to come out because we don't, I don't think exactly know the capacity in which he did this. And to be fair, at one point, his brother, actually, Chris Cuomo, actually had the coronavirus. And I know he was around the mother, their mother, and that was concerned. So I'm wondering, this is just me pondering, not having all the information. So pure speculation at best. 
But I'm wondering if since Chris had the Rona and he had been around family and had been around the mother and all of that, if maybe possibly Governor Cuomo was like, well, I need to get everybody tested because you got the Rona and you done been out in these streets around all the family. That's what I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. But apparently they said he was sending out like nurses in pairs of twos and they were you know doing the testing and he was using like the police force or whatever to like rush the you know the samples to the labs to get it tested it doesn't look good no it doesn't is there a way in which it could make sense sure sure so i mean I think it just looks worse because, you know, of all the other things that he has going on right now, unfortunately. So once again, it's a developing story. It's a developing story. It has been kind of quiet for him. I I literally, I honestly thought we were going to get through a week with nothing new about Andrew Cuomo. And then, bam, it's like hit after hit. He's still not resigning, though. I don't know if y'all thought that that was going to be the straw that brought the camels back, but it absolutely isn't. So we're going to move right along. You may have heard that there is currently a ship in the Suez Canal that is blocking it. Now, if you're not familiar with the Suez Canal, it is apparently a waterway in which like 12% of our trade goes through we're talking cargo ships and stuff coming from other countries so at this point it's been backed up for some days now there are like a maybe a couple to 300 vessels that are actually blocked up now in the canal um because this boat and if you guys saw a picture you'd be like how did that happen but Apparently, there were like some rough winds or something. It was hard to navigate. So this ginormous ship has gotten caught kind of like diagonally in the canal and it's blocking everything. No traffic can get through. And apparently, it's not only costing the U.S. money, but it might cost you some money too. The Suez Canal, as I mentioned, is like where about 12% of our trade goes through. So you can imagine that if the goods can't get through, it's one, going to create a demand at some point. And then two, your goods are possibly going to be raised by the um, producers because of the fact that they're losing money. So everybody's losing money and they're going to try to figure out a way to make up that money. So just watch your items in the days to come. And that's like, you know, I'm feeling like clothing products and maybe some of the things that you get on Amazon for the low. It's probably going to be delayed and or cost more at a certain point. So I just wanted you guys to know about that. You're looking at something that was like, $15 $15 one day and now it's like 45 and you're like what it's probably because we're having some issues with um trade in the Suez Canal so the more you know do with that information what you must 
But that's been another week here on Did You Hear the News? Thank you so much for joining me. I'm still trying to get to my goal of a thousand streams by the end of this month. And it's going to be tough. I know. But send this to your friends and share so that they can listen. Appreciate you guys. Bye. (laughs)